Who is this man? After surveying hundreds of historians, surveying through a calculated, uh, complicated algorithm, millions of different documents, Time Magazine, a secular magazine in 2013, declared that Jesus, this man, is the most significant man in all of history without a doubt. Who is this man exactly? It's kind of ironic that they would say Jesus of all people because Jesus only lived 33 years here on this earth and his public ministry was only three years. And during that public ministry, he was really a homeless itinerant preacher who pretty much traveled mostly around the Sea of Galilee proclaiming the good news of the coming of God's kingdom. Well, the crowds in Jesus' time certainly loved Jesus as he came into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. But then just after being arrested, just a few days later, they yell, crucify him, crucify him. And the t- crowds turned on him immediately. And even some of his own friends, his closest friends, abandoned him in his time of need. In fact, it was one of his own disciples who ultimately betrayed him and had him arrested so that he might be crucified on a cross as a common criminal. The day after Jesus was crucified and buried, everyone probably thought that the, the Jesus movement was, would end with his death. But here we are in this sanctuary with a cross, and a very large stained glass window of him. Who is this man exactly? You know, even Muslims recognize Jesus as a, a great prophet. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi, who was a lifelong Hindu, recognized Jesus as a great moral teacher. Even actors like Ashton Kutcher and Pamela Anderson wear t-shirts saying, Jesus is my homeboy. Everybody seems to love Jesus. But who is this man exactly? Who is Jesus? How we answer that question, without a doubt, is the most important question we'll ever have to answer. You see, how we answer that question basically ultimately determines what we believe, what is true, and and how we live our lives. To see what Jesus had to say about himself as we continue our sermon series on who is this man and what did Jesus say about who he was, I would encourage you to open your Red Pew Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 8, beginning with verse 31. It may be found on page 1138 of your Red Pew Bible, John, chapter 8, beginning with verse 31. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you inspired John to put pen to parchment that we might have your written word today. Oh, Lord, as we read these words, we pray that by your Spirit, you might speak to us, that we might hear from you, that we might better understand who Jesus is and and who he's calling us to be as his followers. Oh, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your Son's precious name, we pray, and all God's people said, amen. John chapter 8, beginning with verse 31, listen to the word of the Lord. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. 
So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he, who sent, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right to say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The of God's word is the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's look again at verse 31 if we can. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What is truth exactly? You know, in our postmodern culture, we are told that there are no absolutes, that truth is ultimately relative. People argue that there is no absolute truth because we all view truth from our own personal perspective, our own personal experiences. What's true for me isn't necessarily true for someone else, according to our postmodern culture, because, well, we have different perspectives and, and different experiences. For instance, I grew up in Midland, Texas, where everybody seemed to go to church on Sunday mornings. Uh, that was the kind of the common cultural expectations. And, and growing up at uh, the First Presbyterian Church in Midland, I was grateful that I was Presbyterians because I noticed that not only did the Baptists go on Sunday mornings, but they also went Sunday evenings as well. And well, I wondered, if, were they trying to get extra credit or something? I wasn't sure what that was about as a kid. 
I was grateful that I was Presbyterian, but we all seem to go to church at least on Sunday mornings. In fact, in Midland, you could easily ask your neighbor, where do you go to church? And they would usually have a response. Growing up as a kid in Midland, I really didn't know any atheists or Muslims or Buddhists. I did know a very few number of Hindus, but they were certainly the minority. However, my wife and I, both of us have cousins who live in the Northeast, where very few people as a percentage of the overall population actually go to worship on Sunday mornings. There's no cultural expectations in the Northeast that you would go to worship. Some of our cousins don't view Jesus as the only begotten son of God. He's just another great moral teacher among so many other different moral teachers. But listen again to what Jesus says in our text this morning. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It sounds like in order for us to really really know the truth of Jesus, and to really be free, we have to abide in his word. So how do we abide in the words of of Jesus exactly? Well, the Greek word for abide here is meno. Meno means to abide, to reside, to stay. I like the way New Testament scholar Dale Bruner uh, interprets verse 31. He says, if you will make your home in my word, then... You're really my disciples. How do we abide? How do we make our home in the words of Jesus exactly? Well, it reminds me of what Jesus says at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. It may be found, the Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27, Jesus says these words after preaching this powerful sermon about how we ought to live our lives. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Notice in those verses that I just read from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, that that storms are going to come for both the righteous and the unrighteous. It doesn't really matter how you live your life. The fact is that storms are going to come, whether you're good or whether you're bad, storms come for both alike. The difference makes is whether or not we're going to be ready for the storms that come, and how we live our lives will determine whether or not we can withstand the storms that come our way. So it seems that in order for us to to abide or to build our homes on the Lord, we have to do what Jesus says. So what is Jesus calling us to do exactly? Well, in our text this morning in John chapter 8, Jesus tells us a lot of stuff. He really condemns the Pharisees quite a bit. I want to go back to John chapter 8. And notice that as we read John chapter 8, there are certain passages that Repeat. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. Notice there are three times he says, truly, truly, I say to you. Truly in the Greek is the word amen. And anytime someone says amen, it means truly or indeed or I affirm that. So whenever the original writers, readers of John's gospel would read the original Greek, it would say amen, amen, truly, truly. It would catch their attention to know that Jesus is about to say something he really wants us to listen to closely. In fact, we know that in order to really hear God's word, we've got to spend time listening closely to what Jesus is saying. We need to listen. We need to meditate on God's word, the words of Jesus. If we want to build our house on his words, 
even memorize his words so that his words will come to heart as we find ourselves in different situations. Well, in John chapter 8, Jesus says a, a whole lot. There's so many things to unpack, but there are three times he says, truly, truly, I say to you. And if we look at these three verses where he says, truly, truly, I say to you, we'll see there's a progression of thought that Jesus is making, this overarching progression of thought. First, Jesus identifies our greatest problem. Second, he identifies the solution to our problem. And third, Jesus lets us know that we can trust his solution. Let's look again at John chapter 8, beginning with verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and I have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? That's kind of an ironic thing for the people of Israel to say. It's true that they may not be living as slaves right in that moment, but they were certainly living under Roman rule. And if you think about the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, and you think about their history, well, actually, they were slaves at one time. That's what the whole story of Exodus is about, is how they were living in slaves in, in Egypt under Pharaoh's unfair rule and how ultimately God delivers the people of Israel through Moses, as we just read about, about in Exodus, how God delivers the people out of slavery. So yes, the, the people of, of Israel, the, people, the descendants of Abram had been slaves in the past, but as Americans... We're not slaves. No, we have some wonderful freedoms here in this country. We have the freedom of, of uh, speech and the freedom of the press and the freedom to assemble, the freedom of religion. In fact, we got to exercise one of our great freedoms this past week when we had an opportunity to vote. We actually get to elect our own leaders, which is a wonderful, glorious freedom that we have in this country. So we're free, right? Not according to Jesus. None of us are free, no matter where we live, no matter what country we're a part of. Look at verse 34, the first truly, truly statement of our text. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. That is our greatest problem, is it not? We are slaves to sin. We have a, a sinful nature that left our own is prone to wander from the God we love as we sing in that beautiful hymn. We are the kind of people who, who left our own are going to stray from God. We're going to, to go our own selfish, sinful way. We need someone to rescue us, do we not? And in the original Greek of our text, the phrase that the ESV translates as practice sin literally is the one who does sin. The one who does sin. That would be all of us, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, have we not? As Paul writes to us in Romans 3.23. I really like the way Eugene Peterson translates verse 34 of our text. He says, Jesus said, I tell you most solemnly that anyone who chooses a life of sin is trapped in a dead-end life and is fact a slave. John 8 verse 34 from the message. To practice sin, to do sin, is to choose sin over righteousness. King David practiced sin when he chose to commit adultery with Bathsheba, a woman that he was not married to, and then he chose to send her husband Uriah to the front of the lines in the battlefield so that he might be killed in battle and he might somehow try to cover his sin. A teenager chooses sin when they make the choice to do drugs or drink alcohol when they are underage. 
A man chooses sin when he chooses to look at pornography. A woman chooses sin when she chooses to gossip about another person. These choices can lead to bad habits that lead to ultimately addictions that ultimately enslave us as we become mastered by sin. We need someone to rescue us. We are all slaves to sin. Fortunately, in our next truly, truly statement that we find in verse 51, Jesus offers the solution to our problem. Listen again to these words as we find them in verse 51. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, in order to keep the words of Jesus, first we have to know the words of Jesus, right? And that's where, as we read in Matthew chapter 7, anyone who listens to his word, first we've got to listen to his word. We've got to know what Jesus says. And, and I think if you don't, are not real familiar with the teachings of Jesus, I would actually encourage you to read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. They're wonderful teachings that give us an explanation of what Jesus would have us do. And as we read the words of Jesus, we need to meditate on those words. In fact, I would encourage you to read those words over and over and over again. Maybe read the Sermon on the Mount you know, one day every uh, day of the next week for the next seven days. If you read those words, it begins to ingrain in your heart. As you meditate on these words, they become written on your heart, and it moves from here to here. So that those words are drawn and you come to those. You begin to memorize what Jesus says about blessed are the merciful for they shall be shown mercy. You'll remember the words of Jesus when he tells us to pray for our enemies. You'll remember the words of Jesus when he tells us to do to others as we would have done to us. As we're called to, to hear God's word, to meditate on it. I like the way that uh, Psalm 1 says that we're called to meditate on the word both day and night. And Eugene Peterson, when he translates Psalm 1, uh, that word about meditate, uh, he uses the, he d- defines it this way, to chew on scripture. We're called to chew on the word of God, the words of Jesus. As we say them over and over ourselves, we, as we mutter them to ourselves, we begin to memorize what Jesus says. Then the words of Jesus move from here to here. We begin to live them out of who we are. I remember a few years ago, I was actually on the board of a, of a Christian school and and then we were in the unfortunate situation where a former student was actually suing the school. And the truth is that this student had had a horrible experience. It wasn't really the school's fault, but uh, she had felt that the school was liable in some way. And so she was trying to sue the school to get some money. And, and as some lawyers came to our board meeting and explained to us that we really weren't liable, that if we went to court, most likely we would win. But as the conversation went about what the legal costs might be, and we talked about the pros and cons and did kind of this uh, cost-benefit analysis of going to court and actually taking this to court, the words of Jesus were impressed on my heart in the midst of this conversation. And so I spoke up, and I didn't usually speak up at these board meetings, but I spoke up, I said, you know, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. What happened to this student is a horrible thing, and I understand the lawyers tell us that we're not liable, really, for what has happened to this student, but... This is an opportunity for us to show mercy, to be merciful, to be generous. And we serve a generous God, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What an opportunity God has given us to be merciful, to show mercy. In fact, if I do the cost-benefit analysis, yeah, it's gonna be expensive if we litigate. And the fact is that the publicity that comes from this litigation may be even worse for this institution Why not just be generous? Turn the other cheek as Jesus calls us to do. Go the extra mile. Do to others as we would have done to us. For James, the brother of Jesus, reminds us that 
Mercy triumphs over judgment. Why not be merciful and let's settle and give her the money she's asking for? That day we voted not to go to court, but to give the money she was asking for, to show mercy, to offer grace, and to help this young woman get the help that she needed in light of the trauma she had experienced. When we put the words of Jesus into practice, when we really read his word and meditate on his word and actually memorize his word, we'll find that these words come to our minds and our hearts in moments of crisis, and we know exactly what it is we're called to do. As we saw in Matthew 7, storms are gonna come for both the good and the bad, for the righteous and the unrighteous. It doesn't matter. Storms come for everyone. But how we survive those storms have a lot to do with what we've been building our lives on. Have we been building our lives on the words of Jesus? Have we been allowing our homes to be settled in the words of Christ? Are the words of Christ the foundation of what we believe and who we are? For Jesus has come, as you read in our text, so that we might have eternal life. And these words, eternal life is ultimately found in him, the great I am, which brings us to our final truly, truly in our section of scripture this morning. Let's look at verse 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know we've been looking at the wonderful I am statements that we find in the Gospel of John. I am statements that are not found in the other Gospels of Matthew, Mark, or Luke, but John wrote his Gospel after these other Gospels had been written because he wanted to tell the rest of the story. He wanted to fill in the gaps for what the other Gospel writers had not written about And there are these important I am statements that Jesus makes, like we began with Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, and of course last week we talked about how Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But this has to be the most controversial I am statement Jesus has said thus far. Because we saw in in Exodus chapter three when Moses asked God, whom shall I say had sent me? What is your name, O God? He says, I am who I am. In the Hebrew, the word is Yahweh which is a, a, a part of the, it's a form of the to be, to be verb, hayah. And it speaks to the reality that God is, God always has been, and God always will be. Now in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, when Greek became the language of trade, they translated the Hebrew into Greek. The Greek term there is ego eimi, I am. And in our text in John 8, as John is writing the gospel of John in Greek, the language of trade, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am, ego, a me. Jesus is assuming the name, the formal name of God here. There is no clear declaration by Jesus of his divinity when he says, I am, before Abraham was, I am, and I always have been, and I always will be. Yes, Jesus is the great I am. And this is good news for you and me today. It lets us know that we can trust the words of Jesus because he is God incarnate. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. We know that to be true. But we also know what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. We know this to be true because Jesus is the great I am. He's in verse 34. Jesus diagnoses our problem when he tells us that we are slave, whoever practices sin is a slave to sin, and in our sinful nature, we are slaves to sin, unable to do what is good on our own. We need a savior. Then in verse 51, 
Jesus offers the great solution to our problem. Truly, I truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Jesus has come and given us the words of eternal life that we can experience here today if we'll simply listen and believe and live out what he says, guided by his spirit. Then we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Then in verse 58, Jesus lets us know that we can trust his solution because he is the great I am, God incarnate, God in the flesh, who came to this earth to do for us what we can never do for ourselves, for he lived in perfect obedience to our heavenly Father. Then he died as the perfect sacrifice for our sins with his death on a cross so that we might truly be free in him and live a new life in him and have the assurance of eternal life. Yes, because when they buried Jesus on that first Friday, everyone thought that was the end of the movement, but that's not the end of the movement because on the third day, Jesus rose again, conquering both sin and death on our behalf yes christ is risen good job he is risen indeed i know it's not easter but he is risen jesus lives and because he lives we know that we too shall live yes jesus is the great i am god incarnate the son of god fully god and fully man the ultimate revelation to us of who god is and who god is calling us to be and yes he can see that we are dead in our trespasses we are slaves to sin but he came to rescue us to free us to give us the words of eternal life, to give us the, the words that bring new life and we'll simply listen and meditate, even memorize those words so they come to our heart and mind in moments of crisis and we know exactly what God would have us do. Have you opened your heart to the good news of Jesus? And if you have, do you know what Jesus is calling you to do today? You will if you take time each and every day to read, to meditate, even memorize his words so they fill your heart and mind. So when the storms of this life come, and they will come for all of us because we live in a fallen and broken world that is a slave to sin. When the storms of this life come, we will know what Jesus would have us do because we've been abiding in his word. We've been building our homes in his word. We've been building our lives on the rock of his word. And so his word will guide us. And his truth, his truth will set us free. As a Christian, I believe there is an absolute truth. His name's Jesus. He's a person. He's the way, the truth, and the life, as we will talk about in a few weeks. But I also recognize we can't truly know the truth of Jesus. We can't really experience the truth of Jesus until we open our hearts to him and we submit our lives to his word. May each one of us experience his truth afresh and anew each day as we open our hearts to him and we submit to what he has to say. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, I thank you that you're the God who has properly diagnosed our problem, but you have also offered a solution to our great problem, the problem of our sin. By sending your son here to this earth to save us, to rescue us, so we might have the gift of eternal life, that we might have, live as a, in a new life, abiding in your word. So Lord, may each one of us abide in your word. May we take the time we need to meditate on your word, to, to learn your word, to know your word, to have your word written in our heart in such a way that when the storms of this life come, and they will come, we will be prepared for our lives have been built on the rock of Christ Jesus as we listen to your word, and we seek to obey. Oh God, by your Holy Spirit, guide us that we might spend the time we need in your word, and guide us by your Holy Spirit that we might live out your word each day.
so that we might know the truth, the truth of Jesus, and that truth might set us free. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said, amen.